0: He is a great, great man of God. Will you please welcome Aaron Miller as he comes to speak today? Well, good morning. How are you today? Good. Well, I, uh, I want to just take a few moments and I want to share some thoughts with you uh, that I've been processing personally, and uh, man, 2020, huh? Man, that's all we have to say about that, right? Uh, but this morning, I, uh, as I've been thinking about uh, thinking about this year, thinking about the seasons and times we're in, I, I can't help but recognize how disruptive uh, our lives. Uh, have been. They really have been. There's uh, in art when you are looking at a painting, you'll see context. You'll see context. They're actually called insulators, and so the centerpiece will be there. But what brings the meaning to the full piece are the insulators of the art. And so, if I were to say to you, uh, for instance, just in a social setting that if you uh, saw a lot of people in swimsuits with sand on their legs and beach chairs on their arm, you would say that they were going where? To the beach, right? But what if they were going to the ballerina? Like, it doesn't work, right? The context, the insulators are, are different, they've changed. And I really feel like uh, it's it's almost like you've gone to the movies, you've purchased some popcorn and someone hands you a squirrel. That's kind of where we are. 2020 is offer has offered us things that we were just like, I I don't want a squirrel. I don't I don't want that. But I, I think and what I know to be true of God is that when the things that comfort us and give us contextualization, when those things are removed, that the gospel is actually a a beautiful gift in this moment. It actually thrives in spaces of disruption. It really does. In fact, God is extremely disruptive himself. Like there are times where God brings deliverance to his people. And if you're familiar with the story Of Moses, you know that God raised up Moses to help bring over a million plus people out of Egyptian slavery and to the promised land. But on the way, they had to cross a body of water and they come there and God says, raise your staff and the sea splits and they walk across on dry ground and the enemy army and chariots are coming behind to catch them. And when the Israelites cross over, the water closes and the Egyptian armies and their enemies completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. Are you familiar with this story? It's the story of Exodus. It's the story of God's deliverance. And yet, as wonderful and as powerful as God is, in the book of Isaiah 43, he says, yeah, I've buried enemy armies under water. Forget about it. The way I'm handling your enemies now, I'm going to put highways in a wilderness and I'm going to bring forth streams in a desert. God went from destroying armies by by flooding to agriculture. That's how he's dealing with enemies now. It doesn't make sense. It's disruptive. God moves And he steps in places that are disruptive. He steps into places and he says, actually in the book of Isaiah again, he says in chapter nine, you're used to having your army boots on and your your garments covered in blood and having to do work that way. I'm actually gonna send you a baby. (laughs) That doesn't work, God, like... I don't know how we're going to just throw babies at our enemy. I don't know how this works. They're just going to get so cutified. They're like, oh, never mind. We love you guys. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's, but it's disruptive. He literally says to them, put your boots and your blood garments away. Beat your swords into plowshares. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And on his shoulders will there be an ever-increasing government that brings peace into the earth. So stop with your warmongering and receive a child. It's disruptive. I mean, I I don't have time to go through and show you all the different places where God says, the holy garments that I taught you about and told you not to have mixed fabrics and to wear an ephod, if you're gonna come close to me, make sure it's pure white, like all those things. He says, I don't want that anymore. Rend your hearts, not your garments. He is constantly disrupting what they thought they were supposed to do to position them to thrive in where they were going. To position them to thrive to where they were going. And so you have to understand that as much as we're in seasons of disruption, this is actually where God does best work. These are the spaces where he can actually say to us, Put away the tools that you used to use and receive the child. Be childlike. Be childlike. In fact, in Hebrews, it says this, Hebrews chapter one, it says that in previous times, God has spoken to our forefathers. There it is. God has spoken to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many various ways. Listen, the various ways is hilarious. You should... You should do some studying. God makes a guy lie on his side for like six months. Another time they cook over like animal feces. I know that like there's various ways, like crazy stuff happens. God speaks through potters and through wheels. God speaks through birds, like all this crazy stuff. Wheels within wheels. Okay, Ezekiel, what were you on? But the point is, God speaks in many various ways. And back in the day, you had to wait until there was confirmation of some sort of way. But then he says this, but but now he's simplifying a thing. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So what is he saying here? I have spoken in many ways that were mysterious and sometimes hard, and oftentimes people only who had ears to hear and eyes to see would embrace. But in this day, I'm speaking to you through the gift of my son, through the gift of sonship that's available to you. This is how the kingdom works now, sonship. The spirit of adoption that embraces your heart, that calls you and I to come forth and say, Abba, because he's a good, good father. It's who he is, right? This is what he's inviting us to. And yet, in the midst of all this, for us, we can't help but think, okay, God, but it's just a bit disruptive. My life's a little crazy. How many would say that 2020 left you a little bit like, that's it? Our pets' heads are falling off. This is the season we've been in. And again, this is where God thrives. This is the space where God steps in and says, I see you, I know you. And as much as we have all done our very best to be in like places where we feel seen and heard, I I am concerned specifically. I mean, (laughs) have you seen the meme? (laughs) Have you seen the meme? where God's meeting with the new intern. He's meeting with a new intern angel, and he's sitting down, and he's like, so you, uh, you're you in the the plague and issues department. How, how's your first week been? Have you assigned everything for the 20s? Have you got it all in? And the intern's wide eye and like, 20s? And God looks back and says, you didn't put it all in 2020. <laughs> And if we think about last year, if we think about wildfires, if you think about like significant deaths, if you think about the racial tension, if you think about the political year we've had, if you think about economy, if you think about the virus, like you start stacking all these things. and it seems like, Man, how could that have happened all in one year? And yet I want to say to you today that in the midst of it all, if you have felt like your insulators have been removed and things have been disrupted in your life, God thrives in those spaces. The gospel is a burgeoning source of life and hope in the midst of these type spaces. God comes and rescues us. And sometimes in the midst of these moments, we actually find ourselves in between polarizations. Or we don't feel like we fit. Do I wear a mask? Do I wear a mask? Do I vote for this person or that person? Do I express these thoughts? If I express these thoughts, it gives people opportunities. I mean, specifically in social media. Can we just all hope that it all burns down? I mean... It, we would be a lot better just to return to let's go get coffee. We would be much better to actually like, Kayla, I'm going to break bread with my enemies rather than make sure they know how I feel by liking or not liking a comment. <laughs> Ooh, you got me. You didn't like it. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> and yet, I have felt and I have spoken with people who have expressed an isolation, not just because we've had to stay home, that's part of it, not just because we've had to be very specific about spacing and social distancing, that's part of it, but there has been a polarization occurring in our world that is quite honestly, if not greater than the pandemic we're facing, It is a tool of breaking down, a unity. And again, this isn't a partisan thing. We're talking about a kingdom that cannot be shaking. We're talking about a space that we're stepping into where people are isolated and it's difficult to see it. It's difficult to see it. There's a story in Luke chapter 17 that speaks to this. It says this in Luke 17. If you put that up now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between. Between Samaria and Galilee, there are between spaces that we have all walked into where we all have found ourselves at times. And I am concerned that if you don't recognize it or see it, and sometimes we can't, that's. The nature of trauma, you don't know you're in trauma. You don't know that you've been triggered. You don't know that you're dissociating. You don't know that you're isolating. And yet it takes someone who can step into the between spaces. And this is a significant statement. This isn't just geography here. You have to understand that Samaria and Galilee was a tense space of civil war between ethnic people. This is Jews and half-breeds. This is you're not welcome in this family because you've broken rules. This is you don't belong. This is you've never accepted us, so we reject you. This is you worship in a temple. We think the mountain is better. Literally, in John chapter four, Jesus meets with the Samaritan woman and she says to him, you say meeting in, that we're to worship in a temple, we say on a mountain, but when the Messiah comes, he will come and he will show us the way. And Jesus goes, ta I who speak to you am he. And this is how Jesus steps into between spaces. He's not afraid of your uniqueness. You don't belong. You've been rejected because let the list run. He sees you and he actually seeks after you. You see, Jesus goes into this between space and he finds himself in the next verse in a very peculiar space. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. And isn't this our culture? Isn't this our world today that people are standing at a distance? I'm not talking about the social distancing. I'm not talking about the mask wearing. I'm talking about the mask wearing in our souls. I'm talking about the distance that we have spaced ourselves from those who could care for us, but have been belligerent or just ignorant in some certain way and that have polarized, and so therefore we don't feel we fit in, that they're not safe enough to see me. And God says, Jesus says, I'm actually going into between spaces to call out 10 lepers, people who've been isolated, who have to say in the next verse, they called out in a loud voice. You understand, this isn't just a prayer. This is habitual living. If you're a leper, you have to say leper so then people won't come by and catch what you have. And isn't this how isolation works? It puts you in the corner, making you think there's something wrong with you that will get on someone so you can't be trusted with people. And yet Jesus steps into those spaces and says, I see you. I'm actually here to see you in the in-between spaces. This isolation occurs and quite honestly, I don't have time to talk about it, but oftentimes we choose, we actually choose isolation. We actually choose this space where we actually would prefer tolerance because we are exhausted rather than the true work of reconciliation that can come through the power of the cross. Have you ever just said to someone, I'm too tired, I don't care? You've been worn down. You tolerate something because of exhaustion rather than do the hard work of reconciliation. And oftentimes our reconciliation, it it needs help. It needs the gospel. It needs the blood of Jesus. It needs the power of forgiveness. It needs the goodness of his grace and mercy that is extended to all of humanity. It, it, It really does need the power of the cross. It's why he's given us a ministry of reconciliation and not just be nice to everybody but a work of reconciliation. And so again, it's way too deep of a thought to get into now, but like, I just wanna encourage you. You were made for genuine connection. God designs you to not just put up with, but actually to work into a place of hearing and seeing and being heard and being seen, a work of reconciliation that brings health and strength to your life. And that's what Jesus goes after. There are lepers who are at a distance. They say, have mercy on us. And his reply is this in verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. This is powerful. We could preach on this all day along, by the way, Jesus still does a good work of healing. I don't have time to talk to you about the healing of souls that I've seen or the healing of bodies that I've seen. Cancer drop off of people's lives. Phenomenal things, but the point is is that Jesus, with just one word, can usher life and health to your body. Go, show yourselves to the priests, and as they go, the act of faith to go brings healing to their life, brings the accessibility of the Savior's virtue into their life. And as they receive, they go as they receive to to go to the priest. Why go to the priest? Because the priest is the only one who can say, you're welcome back to the family. So Jesus is speaking not just to their physical bodies. He's speaking to their souls. And this is the beauty of Jesus. When he spits in the mud to heal a man's eyes, he's not just trying to heal his eyes. He's breaking the association of spit towards the blind man. Because spitting towards the blind man in Leviticus is to say, I agree with the curse that you received because of your sin. To spit towards someone in that space in Levitical law is to say you've received what is just, the consequence of your sin. And so when Jesus spits in the mud, isn't it fascinating that he heals the eyes? Hallelujah. Isn't it gross that it's spitty mud? But for that blind man... To hear the sound of spit and to go even Jesus of Nazareth, who heals, who saves, who forgives sins, even he is spitting towards me to only know that that spit then becomes his redemption. This is how Jesus moves. He's not just concerned with the things that affect us on the outside. He is after the leprosy of our souls. Bring us into reconciliation with Jesus. My, again, I don't have time to get into all this. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. One of them, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to pray to give praise to God except this foreigner? Go back one verse, 17. We're not all of them cleansed. We're not the other nine. Where are the other nine? You have to understand something here. Jesus isn't going like, you ungrateful little healed people. Give me praise. Like (laughs) Jesus is self-sufficient. That's like a virtue of God is that he is all sufficient. He needs nothing from no one. So this little demi-God ridiculousness of Greek mythology where gods get power from praise is not how the God of the universe works. He's not up there going, oh, I'm getting weak because no one prays. No. He is all sufficient, fully sufficient. So Jesus isn't going, these ungrateful little people, he is actually inviting them to the truth that the Samaritan realized that he is the great high priest. Where are the other nine? They missed what was obvious. Why? They didn't have the disruption of no priest. And this Samaritan who walks, because that's his crew, and finds healing, and they're excited and going, wait, we can actually go to the priest. He goes, I don't have a high priest. You see, it was the disruption that showed him who the high priest of heaven was. And he finds his way to Jesus. I want to show you one thing in Hebrews chapter one. Let's go to verse three. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation was being sustaining all things by his power and word here. Here. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. I don't have time to get into it. Just trust me on this. It's a significant statement where he sits and that he sits. First of all, it's the mercy seat because it's to the right hand of the throne. And to the right hand of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat where the glory God where the glory of God rests. So when Jesus sits, he sits on the mercy seat where the blood had to be shed for all of us, humanity, but the Jewish people to enter into God's presence. He sits on the mercy seat. Why does he sit? He sits as a statement of it is finished. You see, all other high priests, their work was never done because the blood of bulls and goats could never finish the work. But when a high priest offers a better blood that speaks a better word. He can then sit on the mercy seat, guaranteeing. And if you go to Hebrews 4, you can see it for yourself. I don't have time. Guaranteeing that you and I have access for eternity. It's a finished work. And why did the Samaritans see it? Disruption. Sometimes it's disruption that shows us the thing that we haven't seen that we needed to see all along. And this morning, I wanna invite you to go ahead and stand with me. I wanna pray for you. See, this morning you might be here and you might be saying my life's disrupted. I'm searching for acceptance. I do feel isolation. And if I'm honest, I recognize a need in my soul. And I want to say to you today. Welcome to honesty. The Bible says this, that those who call upon the name of the Lord in honesty, They are the ones who receive from God. Again, I don't have time to show you. You just have to trust me. But authenticity and honesty will give you access to God. It really will. This morning, you might say, I need Jesus. You might say, I need healing." You might say, I have isolation in my soul and it has grown like a leprosy. Or in our day, as we might understand it better, it has grown like a cancer. And I want to say to you today, Jesus is the healer. He is the high priest who can not only offer you healing, but wholeness and redemption and connection. It may not be to the exact persons that have been abusive or again, ignorant in your life, but it is certainly to a family, a people, a household of God. This is why Abraham says of Abraham that he was looking for a city whose architect and builder was God. Abraham wasn't interested in stones. Abraham was interested in a holy nation, a people. We too are on that journey, aren't we? We're searching for a people. We are searching for a kingdom. We are searching for a savior who will come and rescue us. And this morning, if you've never prayed that prayer, if maybe you, prayed, you haven't prayed that prayer in a long time, or maybe you've been far from God, the good news is the high priest is still seated. The access to you, the throne of grace, to receive mercy and grace in your time of need is still available to you. And it's simple. And it's, conf- it's, it's, prof- it's profoundly simple. And, and it's unique in a mystery that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you receive salvation. We don't make much of a salvation prayer other than to say... Scripture says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. Certainly, it's a little more than that. Certainly, it is a following of the master that Jesus would become your rabbi. But that's a simple daily commitment to say, I choose you today, Jesus. And if you've never received him, or if you need to receive him, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand, not so that I can point you out, but so that we can pray with you to receive healing for the isolation, the pain, the sin that's in your life or the distance that you might feel between you and God. On the count of three, if that's you, we just want to pray with you. Lift your hand. One, two, three. Yes, thank you. Thank you all around the room. I want to give about 10 more seconds, if anyone else. If you need healing, wholeness, thank you if you need Jesus to step into the isolated, distant spaces of your heart. You can put your hands down. If you raised your hand this morning, or if you're in the room and you say, I'm a part of the tribe, I want you to repeat after me as a declaration of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Dear Jesus, today, I thank you that you have created access to mercy and grace you have healing and wholeness for my life today i repent forgive me of my sins heal the brokenness within me i receive you as my savior in jesus name amen Amen and amen. God bless you. If you raise your hand, I'm going to hand it back over to Dan. He's going to tell you what to do. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Come on, you guys enjoy that this morning. Awesome. The best way to to contact us, uh, we don't have normal business hours right now. Um, the best way to contact us is through Facebook Messenger. So if you're a part of Harvest Sarasota on Facebook, you can do that. You can also contact us on Instagram and send us a message. And if you uh, didn't fill out one of those cards and you'd like to learn more about or connect with us, you can do that too. You can grab one on the way out and give it to one of our our, our team here. But we love you. We bless you. We hope you enjoyed today. And we can't wait to see you next week. I'll be back um, basically undoing everything he said this morning next week. And I can't wait to see you. God bless you.